Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Josh, and for this week's Select, I've chosen our October 2020 episode on beavers because it's one of our best animal episodes, which is really saying something because our animal episodes are pretty great. And it turns out that beavers aren't just cute and diligent at work. They have a huge cascading effect, a positive one too, on the ecosystems that they move into. So behold and enjoy the beaver. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and there's Jerry somewhere, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the Orange Incisors edition. Oh. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to make a bad naked gun joke. No. No, it did run through my head over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, though. It's hard, though, when you're our age. <laughs> yeah. And you saw those movies. You For know? sure. Yeah. Dumb joke, though. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a naked gun joke for Pete's sake. Come on. <laughs> so this kind of ties in, I think, a little bit with our porcupine episode uh, in that beavers are, you know, they're porcupine-esque in some ways. I think it ties in even more to our wetlands episode, which gave birth sure. to the idea for this episode, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm pretty excited about this one. I think um, beavers are about as great as it gets because they're so studious and they also bend the world to their will. They shape things the way that they want them. And I like that about them. Yeah, and I also love their familial aspects. Yeah, which we'll, we'll get to all this stuff, but what we're talking about is, is the largest rodent in North America. <laughs> which really demeans them, I guess, but yes. Rodent's such a—it's not a bad word. Um, There's so many great rodents. Who? Beavers, porcupines. What else? Squ squirrels. I know you have a thing with squirrels, but— Well, I know I like squirrels now. Momo and I—and uh, and Yumi sometimes comes with us to chase squirrels across the street in the park— um, and feed them peanuts. Oh, well, we give them peanuts go. as like to kind of buy them off after Mo chases them up a tree. Oh, gotcha. But the squirrels across the way will actually come to you and eat peanuts out of your hand. So I'm I'm kind of on squirrels now. Momo loves squirrels. Chipmunks, mice, chipmunks too. Yeah, I rodents think, are okay, Chuck. I think there are fewer terrible rodents, and the only ones I can think of that are terrible are those. Uh, Scary New York City sewer rats. Oh, yeah. Okay, so rodents are all right. Up with rodents, I guess, uh, is the rodents. way. Rabbits? And uh, I don't think they're rodents. 
Uh, they are. You like a hamster? Sure, hamsters. I don't know if rabbits are rodents, are they? It makes sense that they would be, but... That's what rodent.com says. Okay. Well, who am I to disagree with that? (laughs) But we're not talking about rabbits. We're not talking about sewer rats. We're talking about beavers. And again, beavers are amazing, amazing animals. And like you said, you know, it's kind of related to porcupines in that there's um, what you could call old world and new world beavers. But there's really just two species. And one is found in North America and one is found in Eurasia. And it's easy peasy, no fuss, no muss. These are the beavers that are alive on the planet. Yeah, so we've got uh, the American beaver. Uh, They weigh between 15 and 65 pounds, Mm -hmm. which is very large. Uh, If if you've ever seen a large beaver in the wild, it's um, it's not scary because you know, and we'll get to whether or not they're they're dangerous. They're really not. Um, But it's it's such a large thing that you're like, wow, they're bigger than I thought. Usually, is has run through my head when I see a beaver. Yeah, I mean, 60 or 30. No, yeah, 65 pounds is about 30 kilograms. It's a big beaver. It is a big beaver. And I had to convert it to kilograms for at least our friends in Canada because beavers, their national emblem, they have beaver on their nickel, oh, yeah. which is amazing. Like, this just makes me love Canada all the much more, you know? <laughs> so for that 60 pounds, you're going to be uh, a couple of feet long, 23 to 40 inches long. Mm-hmm. Um, that's without the tail. You don't count the tail when you're measuring a beaver. Uh, the tail, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but they're anywhere from 7 to 12 inches. Uh, if you're Eurasian, you're about the same size. May, you can be a little bit smaller. Oh, I but thought I, bigger. Well, you can be a little smaller on the—I th- I think the range is bigger. Okay. So you can be down in the 20s poundage-wise, but up to the 70s poundage-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you're probably a little bit longer— and your skull and your tail are going to be narrower, or your tail's narrower and your skull is smaller. So, um, yeah, but that tail is what everybody understands when they see a beaver. Just like with a porcupine and its quills, a beaver and its tail is, they're just synonymous. Everybody recognizes a beaver because of its tail. And also, the tails help make it cute. Even though if you zoomed in and took a really close look at the tail, you'd be like, gross. You think? Yeah, it's scaly. It's got sparse, coarse hair associated with it. It Uh looks like a blackjack that some old-timey, like, roughs would beat you up with. Um, And yet, it's one of the most amazing appendages any animal has. It's like a Swiss Army knife, but for tails. Yeah, they're very useful in a lot of ways. They um, Obviously, if if they're swimming, and beavers, uh, by the way, can swim uh, five to seven miles an hour, they have uh, little web feet. They have you can, they can close their ear holes and their nose holes, and they can roll their a film over their eyeballs. Yeah, nictitating membrane. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so if they're going to be swimming, then that tail is going to be acting as a rudder um, and as a propeller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also if they're on land, it's going to act as a little kickstand at times. Yeah, when they stand up on their back legs, they use their tail to kind of lean against to, to sure. help balance. It's a big one for sure. They also, and this is a sure sign that you have frightened slash upset a beaver, um, they will slap the water with their tail yeah. in part to frighten you away to say like, "Don't mess with me." Um, but also to warn other beavers because, um, like you were saying, they're familial. They are actually fairly social animals, and they live in family units. So they would want to warn, like, you know, the wife and the kids back at the lodge. 
Yeah, and here's the thing. I, I spend a lot of time at a lake here in Georgia, and I have heard something which I thought was a beaver tail smash, but I'm not sure because I didn't see it. I have seen evidence of beaver uh, eating tree stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And which we'll get to. And one day when I was in the lake, I saw a mammal's head coming toward me. And I don't know if it was, a, we also have river otter, so I don't know if it was an otter or a beaver. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, it was it was a large head. And even though I know that they weren't going to like come after me, when that thing pops under the water, you're just like, where's he going? What's he doing? <laughs> Where is he? Is he coming at me or not? Were, were you swimming in the lake at the time? Yeah, I was swimming in the oh, lake, yeah, and I yeah. saw this large mammal head, you know, dunk yeah, under. I could feel you. And if it was, I'm not sure how long beavers can hold their, or uh, otters minutes. can hold their breath, but beavers can hold their breath for about 15 minutes, mm-hmm. which is pretty remarkable. I thought I think it's remarkable, too. I mean, it really just goes to show, like, just how adapted they are for life in the water. And they are mammals, so they have lungs, so they need to breathe air outside of the water. But, yeah, the fact that they can hold their breath for 15 minutes, that they have nictitating membranes that cover their eyes like little goggles so they can see and work underwater. Um, they spend a significant amount of their time underwater. In fact, they're most protected in water. That's where they can move the fastest. They can swim pretty fast, way faster than then they can waddle on land. Sure. Um, and a lot of their predators won't necessarily come into, especially deep water, after them. So when they're in the water, they're at their, they're they're at, they're in their happy place. Mostly. Yeah, and imagine when they dive for fifteen minutes and are swimming around. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think those fish think? Oh, here comes a beaver. Again. <laughs> I mean, do they do they know, or are they just like, what in the world is that big hairy thing? <laughs> um. Uh, I would guess that they, I would like to think they know. I like to think of communities of animals or ecosystems just. They know each other? Yep. They know each other. They know each other's foibles. They've come to accept one another. <laughs> you know, they have their you own know, the, things. Those b- but beaver foibles. They always kind of, you know, they, they, in the end, that when somebody, you know, like a human comes in and tries to screw things up, they'll all band together and, you know, raise money for the community <laughs> center so that the developer can't buy it. So if you are a North American beaver, you can live pretty much anywhere in North America except for the desert uh, because you want water around. Um, You're probably going to be near a pond or a lake or a marsh or a swamp or a river. Um, Eurasian beavers uh, used to live all over Europe and Asia, but they were hunted, uh, over hunted, Mm -hmm. because at one point in time, uh, wearing beaver pelts and beaver hats was like really high fashion. So now they're only found in uh, Germany, France, Poland, Scandinavia, southern Scandinavia, and central Russia. Yeah, and a lot of those are because they were reintroduced to the areas. Like I believe Germany had to have their population reintroduced because they were hunted to extinction. And How many same, beavers used to be here? Like 400 million? That's the estimate is that um, wow. in North America, prior to Colombian contact, that they were there were about 400 million beavers, and they were hunted down to near extinction, within the hundreds of thousands from what I saw, um, and were luckily held back from the brink. And when I say luckily, I don't just mean for the beavers, but I mean for the the planet as far as North America is concerned, because one of the things that we are still learning but have come to realize is that the beavers are probably the most useful species on the planet. 
um, because they're one of the few species that alters their environment as radically as they do. Yeah, what are they called? They're a keystone species. Keystone species. Because when they are present, biodiversity thrives. And when beavers are removed from an area, biodiversity suffers. The presence of beavers makes life better and richer for entirely other animals and species just because of what they do and how they do it. All right. That's a great place to take a break. And I say when we come back, we talk about the two fundamental fulcrums on which beaver life is based, the dam and the lodge. Okay. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 251292887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. 
Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, we're back. And there are a couple of things, you know, you've heard busy as a beaver. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know if that's proven, but I think it is almost universally agreed that that phrase came about because beavers are in fact very busy and they work, work, work all day long building their homes mm-hmm. and building dams. Uh, their homes are called lodges. Mm-hmm. And you've probably seen, if you've ever been hiking and stuff in America, you've probably seen a beaver lodge by a river or a lake. It's a little, little dome. Little made out of uh, sticks and grasses and moss and mud. Maybe you thought a local witch had built it? <laughs> yeah, maybe. It does look like a little, uh, what do you call witches' houses? Uh, witches' house? I think there's a Cottage? name, Cottage? Oh, sure. I think there's a different name, but... Uh, a witch's house? There's a name for those? <laughs> I thought so. No? I don't, no, I don't know. think so. Witch house? I, I, maybe I'm thinking of Coven's. House of day witch? <laughs> No, there's a word. We just I just watched The Witch, the movie again. I think there's a word for it. Man, I love that. That might be my favorite movie. Uh, we did a movie crush roundtable on that, by the way. It was really good. It is a good one. That's the guy who did The Lighthouse, isn't it? Yeah, Robert God, Eggers. God bless that man. I can't wait to see his <laughs> biking movie, too. Oh, man, I can't imagine. Okay. Uh, so the Beaver Lodge is, um, you know, about eight feet wide, a few feet high. Uh, they're on the banks of these ponds or on lake shores. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have – this is one of my favorite parts. Uh, many of them have a little underwater back door. Yeah. So it's like sort of a ski-in chalet if you're snow skiing. Yeah, which makes sense because, again, they spend so much time in the water. But also it protects them from terrestrial predators um, because they can get into the water and escape when a predator's like at their door. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is – they're nocturnal. They don't hibernate. But most of this action's going on at night. Um and everyone pitches in, the, the whole family. Uh, I don't think we said yet. They live with their children till they're about two. Mm-hmm. And in a beaver lodge, you might find a mom and a dad who are monogamous mates for life. Yeah. And they might have their three, two-year-old, almost two-year-old children. And then they might have their little grandbabies. Yeah, because when they have their, their babies, which are called kits, which admittedly is not as cute a word as porcupets. No, but they're cute. But, dude, just baby beavers. Po- press pause right now, everybody, <laughs> yeah. and go look up some baby beaver pictures. Those little because, tails. Oh, my, oh God. my God. They're cute. <laughs> so they have baby beavers, and one of the reasons why they're so cute is because they they stick around for so long. Or they stick around so long because they're so cute. That's what I mean to say. Yes. Um, but they do. They stay as part of the family unit and help, like, work on the family lodge and dam. Um, until about two when they wander off, and then at three they start to mate. But they build their own lodge at age two. And from what I've read, it's usually very clumsy. It's not in the best place necessarily, and so they kind of learn as they go. But they also learn from their family unit first, um, which I think is super cute. It is. Um, I think we should talk about dams, though. I mean, the lodges are are cool, and it's a great place to live mm-hmm. if you're a beaver. But the dams is where they really— uh, that's where they get their their shining moment as a species that really helps out the environment because they help create these wetlands, don't they? Yeah, so so a beaver will move into an area that's dry as a bone, um, that's maybe cropland, that's maybe timberland, um, that is not at all flooded. There's no pond or wetland or anything like that, and they say, this can be better. 
And so they find like a source of moving water, like a stream or um, a brook, maybe a creek, maybe a creek, <laughs> something like that. And they stop it up. They they build a dam and they build this dam so that the water backs up behind it and floods this area and turns it into a wetland. And they do this not to irk humans or just for fun. They do it because they're altering the ecosystem to better suit themselves. Like I said, they survive much better when they're in the water. They move faster. They they can work faster. So they actually make this ecosystem into an aquatic ecosystem where before there wasn't an aquatic ecosystem. And they do it all by, by building this dam. And the way that they build dams is magnificent in and of itself. Yeah. So, you know, you've got your uh, dam base, the foundation basically, where uh, you're going to use mud and gravel uh, that you get from the stream and you kind of work together as a family and with your tail and they're pushing, I say we, we're beavers all of a sudden, mm. and you're pushing this mud and gravel up uh, from the bottom of the stream. Yeah. And if, let's say, it's a place where the, the creek is running a little bit too fast and there's too much flow, uh, they're going to say, you know what, we're going to take these sticks, we're going to pile uh, these things up uh, all along the bottom until basically – it's like it's like building from the ground up until they're strong enough to to stay in place. Right, but they're so good at using their hands, and they're so strong. You said, you know, 60, 65 pounds or about 30 kilograms. They're mostly muscle, too. They're really strong little, little rodents, especially for being like herbivores. You know, they're like those vegan bodybuilders. Um, <laughs> but they can take, they'll take sticks and like plant them in the bottom of this stream or whatever and start forming a latticework that they weave in between and fill up with mud to really stop up some, you know, fast-moving current. Um, that, 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 like, that's the level of manipulation that they're, they're doing. They're, they're building a dam that they, they eventually um, successfully back up the flow of water from. Yeah, which is, uh, I've tried to do that before, and it's hard to do. Um, a f- my buddy Scotty and I, who, you know, we went camping once in California and it was when I was young and, uh, in the film industry. So there was a lot of time between jobs and we just decided to stay and keep staying. And I think we ended up staying for like 11 or 12 days. Wow. And, uh, we wanted to build a waterfall next to our campsite. So it sounded better. So we spent days and days with sticks and big rocks and trying to reroute and change the river. Uh-huh. And it was some of the hardest work I've ever done. Imagine doing that at like 48 inches long and only 65 pounds. Yeah. So they're they're not only building this thing up. They got their little kits and their children helping, like bringing up sticks and mud saying, mm-hmm. Pa, Ma, is this okay? And they say, yeah, add it to the pile. Huh. And then once they're done, they they like – there's a periodic like uh, inspections that go on. Yeah. Because they got to make sure that it stays strong because that current just keeps going and it's very easy to wiggle the right stick loose and all of a sudden it starts crumbling down. Mm-hmm. So they basically inspect these things every so often and check it for leaks and bring in mud and patch it up mm-hmm. just like it's like uh, a human might do. Oh, I saw that they, they do daily maintenance on it. That um, One way to tell whether beavers are in the area is to, to find their dam, make it like a little minor hole in it, and then go back and look the next day. And if it's patched up, the beavers are around there. 
Like, and, and giving you the middle finger. Right, exactly. Like, okay, yeah, we're here. You figured it out. Please <laughs> leave our dam alone. But yeah, this, these things are like watertight for the most part, or they they allow very little water through, or I guess from what I can tell, as much water as the beaver wants through. Like, they're very exactly. willfully, deliberately constructed structures that will turn a dry area into a wetland. And when that happens, the, one of the things that they use to build this stuff with are trees around the area. And they can, they use their teeth, those really, really sharp, strong teeth that I said are um, like kind of orangish at the very beginning of the episode. And they're very, they're orange because they have so much iron in them, which actually gives them that much more strength. Yeah, they're up to an inch long. They're super strong. They uh, they actually sharpen as they gnaw on trees, so mm-hmm. it's not like it'll dull their teeth out. It actually sharpens them. And the other thing they're doing is they're eating that tree. Um, right. They're one of the few mammals that, or maybe the only mammal that can actually digest cellulose. Well, porcupines can too. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, they can they can digest cellulose because they probably have a very similar kind of bacteria that helps them yeah. helps digest it for them. But they digest a lot of the cellulose that they eat, and it's really hard to break down normally for mammals, though. Yeah, but like you know, you said they're essentially creating these wetlands. They're preventing erosion. Uh, they are helping to purify the water. Oh, let's let's talk about what the dams can do, okay, Chuck? I, I mean, it's amazing. They're it's it's like a little environmental uh, uh, coalition that goes into the woods to make things better. Yeah. So I think in the wetlands episode, I said something like like a beaver creates the equivalent of some like a five million dollar wastewater treatment yeah. plan or something like that. I could not find that again to save my life, but I think that was roughly it. Um, they they create this this structure that creates the artificial wetland. And in doing so, it filters the water because it slows the water down so much mm-hmm. that the stuff can trickle down to the bottom. It turns a normal um, terrestrial piece of land into a wetland so aquatic plants come. And they've also found out that not only does it filter water of like sediment and particles, it also is capable of handling farm runoff, fertilizer, which is really pernicious because, you know, when all that fertilizer makes its way into to watersheds and wetlands, it creates algae blooms, which suck up all the oxygen and kill off a bunch of fish, right? Which is a big problem. They figured out that beaver dams actually work against that by by um, fixing nitrogen, excess nitrogen from fertilizer. It prevents it from flowing. Bacteria chomps down on it and releases it as nitrogen gas into the atmosphere. And the stuff the bacteria doesn't eat floats down to the bottom, gets eaten up by aquatic plants, which when they die, lock it into the sediment. So this this farm runoff that's a huge problem as it stands is actually mitigated by beaver dams they've recently found out. Yeah, and talk about just what kind of um, impact it has on who lives there. I mean, it, it's basically like an invitation to to nature that says, hey, we got a good scene going over here. <laughs> if you're an invertebrate that doesn't feel like they have a home, you're welcome here. Um, if you're a, a new species of bird that didn't think that you would flourish here, mm-hmm. time to change that attitude. Right. Uh, if you're a duck or a goose, uh, you can nest on top of our lodge because our lodge is super warm because it's full of beavers, and you can nest on top of there and stay warm. Uh, and especially if it's out in the middle of a pond or something, you're going to be safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? 
Um, if you are a woodpecker and you're like, all these trees are too healthy, there's no insects in them, well, just wait because flooded timberland doesn't stand up very well to standing water. And so some of those trees die off and they, get, uh, they provide housing for insects, which in turn provides food for the woodpeckers. What, what if you're a moose, let's say? Probably no good for you, right? No, you're going to love this if you're a moose, so <laughs> yeah. buckle up. Um, it be, it, because the, the beaver has turned it into a wetland, it's now an aquatic environment, and moose like aquatic plants that grow on the edge of, like, marshy areas. So these plants that weren't there before are suddenly there for the moose, and it gets even better because when the beaver family finally like is, you know, move moves away or they die off and the the whole thing gets abandoned, the eventually the dam's going to break without regular maintenance. And when yeah. it does, the 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 place is going to go back to how it was before, but it's going to go back to better than it was before because think <laughs> about right. all that nitrogen that was fixed in the sediment, all the erosion that was prevented, and all of a sudden you have a lush, beautiful meadow that deer can come eat on. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like they they help out all these animals and introduce all these new animals that can live together. Mm-hmm. And then once it's done, it becomes a flowery meadow for deer. They leave it better than it was when they first got there. Amazing. It is amazing. The problem is, is that Humans frequently have much different plans for those same areas, and beavers yeah. run afoul of them. I th- say we take a break and we come back and talk about that after a break, like I just said. <laughs> what do you think? Answer now. Yes. Okay. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. 
Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, so um, we love beaver. You love beaver, everyone out there listening. There's a lot of people who don't love beaver. Is and it beaver? It is now. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why is because if you own, like— a, a, a stand of timber, your plan is to eventually cut that timber down and sell it for wood planks or books, you know, like um, Stuff You Should Know, colon, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things available everywhere you get books to pre-order now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things you can do with trees that you grow. And if beavers move into your area and they build a dam, those dams are effective. This isn't like a little puddle we're talking about. Mm-mm. They can create basic basically like lakes, ponds, like enormous wetlands. And when you have standing water over timberland, those trees are not, they're not aquatic trees that you're growing there. So they actually die. Again, remember they they die off and bugs move in and woodpeckers eat the bugs. Well, if you're trying to make money off of those trees, you don't really want the beavers to do that to your timberland. No, and I think uh, how many tens of millions of dollars I think it was like $20 million a year or something. I, was, it's, I think more than that because I think I saw Alabama alone suffered like $14 million in losses oh, really? from timberland, just Alabama. From beaver uh, damage. And yeah. not only that, it'll—flooding it'll, um, flooding for crops. Yeah. Um, it can make um, what was ordinarily a very stable bridge or road uh, now unstable and cause damage to roads and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, from like saturating the soil that was holding it up just fine before. Yeah, the the good news is um, back in the old days, they would just, you know, they would just cull as many beavers as they could to get mm-hmm. rid of them. Uh, these days, and this is kind of a weird stat, but it says 75% of, <laughs> of beaver-human conflict <laughs> can be resolved without trapping or killing the beavers. So yeah. I take that as in they will somehow move them along in a way that's humane. Well, I don't know if that's even the case. I think that more often than not, the first question is, is the beaver really causing a problem? Or is it that there's beavers and they've created this this wetland and it wasn't there before and you're taking it as a problem? And that's the the, the thing that I'm 
seeing that there, it seems to be like the new paradigm for viewing beavers as far as their relationship to humans. It's like, really, what's what's the problem? If it's, yes, they're damaging cropland, okay, that's a problem. If they're killing timberland, that's a problem. If they've, um, if they're washing out a road, that's a problem. But if they just created a wetland that wasn't there before on your property, where you bought the property and it was dry and now there's a wetland there that you didn't plan for, is it really a problem? And I think that's what they're saying is that 75% of the, the people who are asked that question will say, actually, I guess it's not. I'm going to learn to love the beaver. I love beaver. Yeah, and, you know, it really gets my dander up when I uh, – this lake uh, that I go to, the Facebook page, there are people, you know, people post like, hey, it looks like I have a beaver eating on my trees. And, you know, these – some of these people literally are like, yep, I'll take care of that with my 12-gauge. Yeah. And it's just like, you don't <laughs> – I've never understood the people who want to move to nature to kill the nature. Yeah, I know. It's just – it's unnerving. And uh, I have seen some beaver damage, and I love it. I welcome it. So, yeah, you eat, would – Eat all you want. You would be <laughs> one of the 75% who would say, like, nope, no, it's no problem whatsoever. You probably wouldn't even say it was an issue. No, you wouldn't even be asked that question. You would just know from the outset that it's not a problem. I call that a beaver beavering. Yeah, that's Be- right. Beavers are going to beaver. And so and we know now that, like, they are a keystone species. They're so important that it's it's great. The impression I'm getting is it's kind of like, mm, no, it's not really a problem. So you can't touch that beaver. Don't shoot that beaver. You're going to get in big trouble depending on where you are for shooting a beaver when it wasn't creating a problem, which I love because they should be protected because, again, not, not just the fact that they were almost hunted to extinction, they provide so many really important services. Um, I don't even know if we talked about it. There were two others, Chuck. They prevent flooding, three others. They prevent flooding by slowing the flow of water so things downstream from the dam don't get overwhelmed as much. Right. The stuff in the dam helps recharge aquifers below, whereas before there was just a little stream trickling over. It was doing jack for the aquifer. Now the aquifer is getting recharged on the daily. And then the third one is they provide natural fire breaks, which helps oh, contain sure. forest fires. Yeah. I have a feeling when we're done, we're going to be mad because there were like three more things we didn't think about. That happens to me a lot and drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, here's some of the things that people do try and do, though, to mitigate their, uh, what they perceive as their beaver problems. Yeah, yeah, no, because they, they do create some problems as far as human settlement is concerned. Uh, they will use beaver pipes, yep. uh, and this is basically plastic pipes that uh, you put in a beaver dam to route that water to where you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, helps control the flooding that beavers can cause. Yeah, it's like so long that the beaver's like, it doesn't think to go to the end of the pipes. It just sees that there's something around its dam, and it probably dams up around the pipe, but that still lets the flow of water go through. Yeah, this is kind of cool. They will build a pre-dam. If they want beavers away from a certain place and in a different place, Mm -hmm. they'll basically say, hey, look over here. We got this fence. It's like a foundation for your new home. Right. Uh, It's kind of, you got 10% of your work is already done. Why don't you just start here? So they'll do that. Yeah, the beaver says, hot dog. <laughs> uh, and then another thing is to design, the, well, there's two kinds of, of fences. There's the pre-dam fence mm-hmm. that encourages them to come. And then there is another kind of fence 
uh, to keep them from building there in the first place. Yeah, those are called beaver deceivers. Um, And they are, it's just basically, so like a culvert is a frequent place that a beaver likes to dam up, and that's where it causes a lot of damage because culverts are are meant to help drain water to keep roadways stable and that kind of thing, right? So you would just basically put a fence radiating out from either side of the culvert outward Um, at an angle, kind of like in a V shape. And then those two um, fences are connected by another fence between the two. So it's just basically like a triangle that ends in the culvert. The key is if you make those fences long enough, I think 12 feet minimum or something like that, the beaver is going to be like nuts to this. This just isn't even worth it. I'm not going to try to build a dam here. Or if it does start to build a dam, it's going to give up eventually. Um, And your culvert is saved without the beaver being hurt or harmed. The beaver just moves on to a different spot that it likes. Right. Uh, And if you have a tree that you really love that you see has a beaver activity, uh, you can wrap like chicken wire around the base of it if you Mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also some special paint that you can paint on the trunk that apparently beavers don't like uh, if you want to protect a certain tree. Um, It's like the nail-biting stuff, I'll bet. Oh, my God. Somebody wrote in about that. What did they say? I didn't see that one. I think they were just asking, like, what it was. Uh, I'm sure they still have it, but— um, I don't remember what it was. I believe, remember Lee Press-On Nails? I think they had a sideline in that stuff. I'm sure it was. It's probably just like clear nail polish. Yeah. but it tastes just, like garbage. Uh, yeah, that tasted really bad. <laughs> it tasted like what? What? I thought it was like hot. No, it was bitter. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't like that at all. No, it was very bitter. Um, I don't think we mentioned the, uh, I mean, we should talk a little bit. We talked about the kits, um, but they do live in large groups. They're very social. They're called colonies. Mm-hmm. And they mate in the winter uh, during the first few months of the year. Um, The Eurasian beaver gestates for 60 to 128 days and have one to six little babies. And the uh, American beavers gestate from 100 to about 105 to 107 days. Again, one to four little kits. And they are weaned uh, around two weeks of age, whereas the Eurasian beaver is weaned at about six weeks of age. Right. And so, uh, Chuck, I saw that beavers tend to live, like you said, they were monogamous, typically. I saw that they live about 10 to 15 years in the wild, which is so cute. But you can also build a pretty pretty respectable dam in that time, too. And I think, actually, the largest dam that they've ever seen um, is, they think it is from many, many, many generations of beavers staying and working on it in Alberta, right? Yeah, it's huge. And I guess everyone just got in on the party. Yeah, it's, they think since the 70s that some beavers have been keeping it Very up. appropriate. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and those little kits, by the way, can swim about uh, just one day after they're born. They're already swimming around. Right. So, like we said, I think that they are, um, I think that they become sexually mature at age three. And around that time, they're going to start producing something called castorum or castorium. Right? Yeah. Um, And castorium is like, uh, a lot of people think that it's like the origin of castor oil. That's not correct. It's from the castor bean, I believe. This stuff is like the opposite of castor oil. It actually like tastes and smells like really good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's used, it's, the FDA says you can eat it. It's one of those grass, remember, generally recognized as safe ingredients. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, though, there's just not a lot of it. It's, it's, It's very tough to... And it's a lot of work to go out there and try and extract this um, flavor ingredient from the beaver tail. (laughs) Right. 
Uh, I think it says uh, two hundred, about two hundred ninety-two pounds annually total. Right. So uh, I imagine it's expensive. It is very expensive, and you can still find it in some places. I think I saw a whiskey that uses it. Um, Chanel's perfume. Um, oh, what is it called? Coir de Russie, I believe. It still uses it. Um, Not really. And it's a flavor ingredient too, because it's. Um, or like you were saying, it's generally recognized as safe, but it also adds like a vanilla raspberry flavor. That's oh. what it tastes like to humans. And they think that there are some ice creams out there that still may use that, like old-timey ice creams that use beaver castorium, like beaver scent. That's what it is. It's beaver musk. Yeah. It just so happens so gross. that beaver musk tastes like raspberry vanilla to, to humans. Huh. Yeah. But they were hunted for a really long time, which kind of led to this one myth, didn't it? Uh, the testicle myth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, up until about the 1100s, uh, people thought beavers ate or bit off their own testicles. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently this has its origins in ancient Egypt uh, and medieval Europe. Uh, it continued where I think the, the, what they said was that beavers knew that hunters were coming after them <laughs> because of that castorium, yeah. uh, which originated in their testicles, and um, none of this is true. I think their testicles, they don't even have hangers, right? <laughs> no, they don't. They're located inside them, which automatically disqualifies it. But also, so the beavers were basically saying like, no, you can't have my castorium. I can't have it anymore either. I would rather bite off my own testicles than let you have them. Yeah. I guess maybe as a survival mechanism, like they thought that the maybe. hunters would leave them alone if they didn't have testicles. But maybe no, that's not true at all. Um, and then there's one other great fact, Chuck, that I think you got to take to take us out with. The uh, yeah, the Pope in the 16th century said, you know what. That's, that tail is pretty scaly, mm -hmm. and they sure are in the water a lot. So um, during the fasting days, go ahead and eat that beaver. <laughs> it's yeah. close enough to a fish. Yep, exactly. It qualifies as a fish. So you could eat beaver uh, back in the 16th century thanks to the Pope. That's right. Uh, as far as I know I teased earlier, if they were dangerous, they're, they're not. Beavers are very nice little fellas and ladies. Mm -hmm. uh, and if there is a beaver that attacks somebody, it will make the news because it's so rare. And it probably means they're really sick. Yeah, they, um, like all mammals, can get rabies. Um, but like porcupines, I get the impression that that's one of the few um, diseases you can get from a beaver. Um, the thing is, is if they are rabid and they do charge at you, they can do some serious damage with those teeth. Like, they can chew through three-foot diameter trees. They can bite through your skin. And so if you get too close to a beaver, it can have bad effects. It's just, like you said, it's extremely rare. But I saw at least one guy's died from, from them in the last decade or so, right? That was just bad luck. So a guy in Belarus was trying to get a picture of a beaver and got too close and the thing bit him in his thigh and bit through his femoral artery and the guy <laughs> bled to death from a yeah. beaver attack. He That's died just bad from luck. a beaver attack. His family yeah. has to live like that for the rest of their lives. Yep. Beaver attack. I know. Um, and there's been some other attacks too, but yeah, I, I, I think they just kind of give beavers bad name unwarrantedly, don't you? Shot through the leg. And you're to blame. <laughs> You give beavers a bad name. Oh, goodness. Todd. Um, well, I guess that's it for beavers, huh? 
That's it. I'm glad we finally got to do this one. Leave them alone. Yeah, let them do their beaver thing. Beaverin', like Chuck says. Beaver's gonna beaver. If you uh, want to know more about beavers, well then by God, you go find some beavers and study them from afar because they are nature's miracles. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. All right, I'm going to call this uh, Braver Angels. Hey, guys, listen to your episode on swing states. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the dangerous level of polarization going on between reds and blues in America. Oh, yeah, thanks for reading this one. You're welcome. And I wanted to uh, let you know that there's something we can do about it. There's a great grassroots organization with a specific goal of depolarizing America called Braver Angels, which organizes events to bring reds and blues together to have real nuanced discussions about things they disagree about Mm -hmm. and help us understand and respect each other. That's great. It it is great. I mean, that's quite uh, a service. Yeah, I I would love to peek in on one of these meetings and maybe go to one. Yeah. Uh, They're doing a lot of online events now due to COVID and, among other things, just launched a campaign called Hold America Together to prepare a response to potential election-related conflict in November. Uh, could you please tell your listeners about Braver Angels Yes, and help keep our country together because America needs this. Love to all the reds and blues out there. And you guys are great at what you do. Join the Braver Angels. That is from Krista. And just go to braverangels.org, B-A-R-A-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-S.org. B-R-A-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-S.org. That is correct. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, that's fantastic. Thank you, Krista. And thanks to all the braver angels out there who are trying to keep the country together. Because like Krista said, we kind of need it right now. And it is brave. It's t- it's uh, it's daunting to step outside your echo chamber. Oh, man, it is. And it's just harder and harder because, you know, it, the echoes have gotten stronger and stronger. So to hear something other than that is like yeah. just almost like makes your brain melt, you know? Pretty neat. All right. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us to let us know about some group or service that the country or the world is in dire need of, we want to hear about it. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.